Hey, good morning and welcome to night school. I'm going to be talking a little bit about accents today. I'm going to be talking a little bit about accents. And not to get too, uh, I was going to say as the kids say, but as 30-year-olds have been saying for the last 15 years, not to get too meta about all of this. Oh, this is one of those meta-deconstructionist episodes. Not to get too meta-deconstructionist about it. Uh, but, you know, obviously accents are a large part of this show, and I would never pretend that I'm good at them. I'm not going to pretend that any accent I do is accurate or uh, the work of some high-quality voice actor. And uh, But, you know, beyond the fact that I find accents entertaining, and they're obviously, you know, part of the humor of this show or the attempts at humor, as I like to say, you know, I don't care if you find me funny, but at least acknowledge that I'm trying to be funny. At least know that I'm attempting. Uh, but not to get into the whole uh, failure to recognize jokes thing again. Uh, but, you know, accents, they're obviously part of, you know, what I consider the more entertaining aspects of this show. They're the things that entertain me. Uh, but they're also something that they... Like, when you hear something you say played back to you in a different accent, it completely changes your perception of what you just said. And I've been doing accents in my head and just when I talk to myself, you know, in the, in the ways that you go about your day and you'll mutter things to yourself. I've been doing these accents for myself way longer than I've been doing this show. And one of the reasons is is because it's almost like you get this... It's like giving yourself feedback. And sometimes I'll, I'll say something or I'll think about something I, I said or thought, and hearing it played back in an accent just highlights the absurdity, the utter ridiculousness of it. And that's one of the ways that accents are used on this show is like when you hear some of the things that people say or might say played back in, say, a New York accent or a Southern accent, it really just points out the absurdity of it. And the drama, the inherent absurdity and drama of so much of our expression. And that's the funny thing in particular about East Coast accents, because there's this idea that East Coast accents are, you know, they just get to the point. You know, the reason I, I talk like this is I just like to get to the point. I like to get to the heart of the matter, and, and my heart is in the streets. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it, it is like it is. And I don't know what these people out there talk like. I don't know what these people on the West Coast talk like. But here we just, we just say it exactly like it is. But there's something so fucking dramatic about New Yorkers and people in New Jersey where even though there's this idea that it's like the, it's how tough guys talk. It's urban, but it's, uh, it's, it's urban, but it's uh, the streets. It ain't, it, it ain't how we talk, it ain't how you guys talk in, the, in universities or in, in your office job. This is how we talk on the docks. This is doc talk. This is doc talk. Um, but there's this idea that somehow it's, it's more honest. And to me, it's, it makes everything sound so much more dramatic. And I'm not even criticizing it or anything. Obviously, I love it. I mean, I, I think that I, 
shouldn't need to explain how much I love these accents and how much I envy people who have them, really. But uh, there's this idea, though, that it's somehow more honest or more like people who talk like that are somehow more straightforward. And really, I feel like it's that much more dramatic and melodramatic, I would even add. Because you think about, like, because it's this tough guy accent, but also women who talk that way and live in these places on the East Coast, they're also thought of as tough guys, too. You know, I'm, I might have big hair, but I'm a tough guy, too. Uh, tough guy, too. The sequel. Uh... But there's this idea that even the women are just telling it like it is. Even the women are tough. But then we also see where that plays out, like New Jersey Housewives, that show where it everything they say is just so dramatic. Oh, my God. You know, there's that idea. And that idea of, oh, my God. But it, it really does just show you, like, how silly everything we say is and it's not that these people are saying anything that's more silly than anything we say is but when I hear my own thoughts or just when I come up with something even if it's not supposed to be my own thought when I just play it back in an accent like that it just it just wipes away all the bullshit and you're like man so much of what we express is melodramatic it is ridiculous and hearing it played back in a different voice, a different tone, is the best way to really see that. Uh, hear that. You can't see it. I have synesthesia. I see accents. But accents are fascinating. And my friend Nick had a joke. My uh, friend Nick, he talked about, he had a joke where he was, we're from the town of Kirkland, Washington, it's where we grew up, and he had a joke a few years ago where he was like, I got a Kirkland accent, uh, and what's funny about that is it's like Kirkland, it didn't have an accent, it didn't have, you know, a noteworthy accent, I should say, where it just sounds like the way people talk on TV, and if you were to ask me, I would say I don't have an accent. I, I have the universal American accent. It's what you see on the news. And yeah, there are little nuances. You know, Californians, you know, might talk a little more this way or they might use this word more often. But for the most part, that West Coast accent is what you see on TV. Uh, it's, it's, again, we're, we're getting to synesthesia here. You're seeing accents. I can see your accent. It's like an aura. I can see your accent aura. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's a, I would never say that I have an accent, but it gets into this idea, because, you know, you have heard the argument, I'm sure, where people who do have more obvious accents, people who are from, uh, you know, the East Coast or the, from the South, from places where there is a more distinct accent, will say, no, you have an accent, too. It's you who have an accent. You telling me I have an accent? You have an accent, Mr. West Coast. You just don't realize it. You just don't realize you have an accent. And that's true, too. That's true, too. Tough guy, too, true, too. Because it gets into that idea. It's almost like a dependent origin, which is the idea that you can't break things down to one essential component because everything is being influenced by something else. And everything is relative to something else. And the idea of dependent origin is, you know, like a cosmological, you know, you know it's, it's a, 
it's a philosophy based on, you know, the idea of creation itself. Like the idea that, you know, you can't boil the origin of life or beyond life. You can't boil the origin of existence down to one essential component because that essential component is being impacted by some other component and that component is being influenced by another component. And basically it's this idea of everything is in perpetual motion and everything is being influenced by something. Everything is relative to something else. And what better example of that is there than accents, where, yeah, every accent is relative to another accent. Every language is relative to another language. And so, of course, I have an accent. Of course, the way I talk is an accent of some kind. And, of course, to somebody who has a much more distinct accent, like somebody in England, of course, you know, we have American accents as a whole. That does make me wonder, though, does someone in England hear, in the same way that, you know, we can barely discern between the different accents in England, like, most people can pick up on a Cockney accent versus, you know, whatever a more noble and refined British accent is called, I don't know. A Lancashire, you're speaking in a Lang, I don't even know, I can't even make a joke. I can't even make a joke. I can't, I don't... I know so little about England that I can't even make a joke. Um, uh, but that's just how we are in New York. That's just how we are. We're just, we just tell it like it is. And sometimes telling it like it is means I can't even make a joke. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we can, we, I think most people can tell the difference between, say, like, you know, a poor British accent, a Cockney accent, and a, you know, the more like refined, the more refined British accent. Uh, but beyond that, I wouldn't be able to tell you all the different nuances. You know, I'm sure there are villages that are known for their distinct accent. There are different towns. There are different parts of the country, obviously. But I do wonder if someone in England hears like a New York accent and it barely sounds different from a West Coast accent. <laughs> they hear a Southern accent and they can just barely, it's like to them, it's like the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi where it's like there's some just barely tangible difference between them. That's how uh, people in other countries feel about New York and West Coast accents. I can barely tell the difference. Uh, you sound almost exactly the same. <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, but to go back to that idea of dependent origin, it's it's just this idea that, yeah, all of us have accents in relation to someone else. And my friend Nick's joke, one of the best jokes I've ever heard, honestly, because it's like this idea that the joke is like we don't have accents in Kirkland, but yet we probably do. And not just in that, you know, everything is relative where, you know, we're a Seattle suburb, and people in Seattle sound a certain way that's very similar to the way people in, say, Los Angeles sound. But then when you compare that to the way people in even the Midwest sound, it's it's noticeably different. And then the people in the South, it's even that much more different. But there probably are little nuances to growing up in Kirkland, little inflections or the use of certain words that are unique to that town, at least at the time in which we grew up there. 
So it's kind of a silly joke, but there's also a lot of truth to it, where it's like, you know what? There probably is, if someone were to actually study that, which nobody does, like, does do linguists, do dialecticians, if that's even the right word, dieticians, uh, do linguists and dialecticians, do, do any of them actually study the difference between suburbs in America? You know, do they actually study the little nuances and ways that people talk there that are different from even just a neighboring town? Probably not, you know. It's probably barely detectable. But still, I think there's something there, and it shows you. Because even a group of friends develop their own way of talking. Even a group of friends will have, you know, just some minor qualities that make the way they talk different from other people. And part of that's it's because we mirror each other. We mirror each other in the way that we talk. And it's if you've ever noticed, uh, if you're in a conversation with somebody, if you like them especially, if you don't like somebody, you won't mirror what they're saying unless you're trying to manipulate them or something. But if you like somebody, if you're getting along with somebody, if you actually pay attention, you'll notice that you start to use some of the words they use. And beyond that, when people have, when, when you're talking to somebody who has an accent, first of all, you can't you just can't stop thinking about their aura accent or their accent aura. Uh, where if you're talking to somebody with a British accent, it's like this constant distraction where it's like, oh, I can't seem to shake this. It's like someone might have a different skin color than you, but once you get to know them, you forget about it. You know, you're just like, oh, whatever. And, and this isn't some like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to go anywhere with that thought. But uh, with an accent, it seems to be a constant distraction. And, of course, if you talk to somebody long enough or if you spend enough time with with somebody who has an accent, you just get used to it. But still, there is something that's harder to shake about it. Like you're constantly aware of it in a way that you wouldn't be with with somebody who has some other difference about them. Uh, and this kind of gets into that Madonna territory where in the 90s, I remember like all these people criticizing Madonna because she started to pick up a, a slight British accent because she lived there. And we all know Madonna's a poser and deserves to have harpoons thrown at her for <laughs> picking up like a slight accent. No, uh, that is the funny thing. It's like, I know who you are and you don't know who I am. So I'm going to throw things at you. I know who you are, Madonna, but you don't know who I am, and I'm mad about it, so I'm going to throw things at you. I'm going to throw things at you. Uh, there was somebody I knew, like a family friend or somebody who moved to New York for a while, and when they came back, they were like talking in it's sort of this half-assed New York accent, and it was really grating. Because it wasn't a full-on accent, it was just it was subtle enough to where you noticed it, but it was irritating just because it was like it sounded like somebody doing a bad New York accent. Probably what I sound like when I do one on this show. Probably sounded like that all the time. But you know, you can't like hate people for that because it's something we just do. We start to mirror other people's you know speech patterns when we talk to them, and it, it's just something that happens even one on one where we'll start using a word that somebody uses. And I found myself doing that, and it's embarrassing, and it shouldn't be, because it's just something we do as people. And if you get a group of people together, a group of friends or coworkers or anybody who spends a lot of time around each other, they will develop their own, if not an accent, just their own lexicon for sure, their own way of describing things. 
And there probably are subtle inflections to the way they talk that become unique to them. And you can see that not just in the way they talk, but also in the way they dress, where groups of friends will start dressing like each other. Things become tribal. And that's what all of this is. It's all very tribal. And a tribe develops because we do start mirroring each other, you know, and, and a tribe has common interests, you know, they have common goals, and the biggest goal of all being survival. That's why, you know, the most, when you break it down to the most primitive form of tribe, the goal is survival, the, the idea is to keep the tribe alive, keep yourself alive, keep the tribe alive. Um, Keep yourself alive, keep the tribe alive. <laughs> That's what I mean, though. You got to play these things back in a different voice to hear the fucking absurdity of it. And if I didn't do that, I would be fucked. If I didn't play some of the things I say back to myself in a different voice, I would take myself way too seriously. Because that's what it does. It just it boils everything down and breaks it apart and just allows you to like see the inherent melodrama and absurdity in everything. Everything you could ever possibly say. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is that tribal thing where we start to mirror each other and we, we change the way we talk and we, we pick up qualities that our, uh, the qualities that our friends have. And, and I don't know, it's an interesting thing that plays out. And it's something to be aware of, but it also seems to be inevitable. And uh, now I think we need to be more aware of it than ever because the tribes are so invisible and connected to each other in such strange ways. Uh, we don't have the normal markings of a tribe, and a lot of it is... Uh, we've just had this oversaturation of communication, and a lot of it is done without speaking. Oh, I noticed that uh, your texts have a, a certain accent. And that's the other thing. Like, let's get really out there with this and say, can a typed message have an accent? Obviously, you can use certain words. I mean, assuming you're not spelling things wrong to denote an accent, like you spell for, you know, it's spelled F-O-R and you spell it like F-A-H. <laughs> That'd be a way of typing out an accent. For. Um. But, I, you know, you do wonder, like, because you can see where, you know, internet subcultures have developed their own way of talking, and it's, it's not through a verbal accent, but they have weird ways of typing, and they'll use weird words, and they'll change the spellings of things. Um, and I, I think the first time I noticed that was the whole, like, leet-speak thing, which I, I'm embarrassed to even mention for some reason. I'm embarrassed to even mention it. Uh, but there was that whole thing where, like, the like the hacker sort of thing, which I don't even know if hackers ever actually talked like that or if it was always just a parody. I don't even know if they know. They probably don't even know. Uh, uh, but so many things, things do start as jokes, and then they just become the way that you communicate. I mean, for all I know, people with East Coast accents, it just started as a joke. Maybe it was people playing back what they were saying in a different voice for the very same reasons I do it. And they were like, oh, you know, it's good just to play back what you're saying in a different voice so you don't take yourself too seriously. And then that just became their new reality. Because so many things that start as jokes will just become your new reality. Uh, you know, in the same way 30-year-olds have now been saying uh, meta 
for the last 15 years. Uh, they've also been saying post-ironic, but it, that is that post-ironic sort of process where something that starts as you know, a display of irony or humor starts to become real. Oh, I'm going to pretend to be a Republican, and next thing you know, you're voting Republican. <laughs> that happens. That's real. Uh, and uh, it's funny, though. It's funny how we do that. It's like, you know, it's like it just shows you that if you repeat something enough, it does kind of manifest. It does kind of become the new reality. And you should take that into my, in mind. And that's why I always say on this show when I'm on some kind of self-help kick, it's like if you repeat something positive enough, you start to feel a little better. I learned myself when I when a cashier used to ask me, uh, how you doing? And I would say, I'm doing great, even though I wasn't. I started to feel great. That's true, though. Because, uh, you know, when a cashier asks you how you're doing, you're not supposed to be honest. You're not supposed to say, shitty. Shitty, man. You're not supposed to say that. So I would just say, great. And then I found that when I said that to the cashier, even if I wasn't feeling great, if I said, great, I'm doing great, I would feel a little better afterward. And I was like, what is that? And it turns out all self-help, all, all these mantras are based on that because it does something. And, you know, it doesn't mean lying to yourself. But anyway, I wasn't going to go on that tangent. The same is true of accents, though. If you repeat an accent, it's, it's just it's the same thing where it's like if you make the, it, that, that warning, that urban legend, that myth, whatever you want to call it, where it's like, oh, if you make that face in the mirror, your face is going to stay like that. If you do that enough, your face is going to stay like that. If you do a fake New York accent enough, you're going to talk like that all the time. And that's true, too. Once again, true, too. If you do that enough, because, I mean, honest to God, I've found that sometimes I just talk that way now. And I'm Madonna. Harpoon me. Throw a javelin. Pin me to the wall with a javelin, because sometimes I find myself just naturally talking in these fucking accents, and I'm not losing my mind. It's just what happens when you do something enough. <laughs> Famous last words. Let's put that on my tombstone. I'm not losing my mind. It's just what happens when you do something enough. I'm not losing my mind. I just have four children who are driving me crazy. Be a good bumper sticker. But that idea of like, you know, anything can become an accent. <laughs> anything can become an accent. It's true. And, you know, that I, just going back to my friend Nick's joke where it's like, I have a Kirkland accent. You know, it's, it, there is some truth to that. In all the, in, no matter how silly that idea is to me, as someone who grew up there and who thinks that having the universal American TV accent means not having an accent, there is an accent. You just have to realize it. You just have to get outside of your own brain. And it goes back down to alien, or it goes back up to alien view, you know, viewing the world as aliens. And, you know, to the aliens, everything we say or do is an accent. The way we breathe air is an accent. Do people breathe air in different accents? Uh, to the aliens, to the aliens, we sure do. Oh, you have you have an alien accent. It's not very politically correct to address people as aliens, 
No, but I'm talking about real aliens. I'm talking about aliens up in the sky, up in the up in space. An alien accent. And that's funny because we give aliens a certain accent. There is an alien accent that's been repeated in sci-fi and it's very pulpy. It's a pulpy sci-fi accent, but still, we have this idea of how aliens talk, even though we don't even know if they exist, but we've assigned them an accent. You know, like, take me to your leader. You know, it's like, I'm embarrassed to even try it. I'm embarrassed to even do it. It's so pulpy, and I've never done it before. It's so pulpy, and I've never done it before. Uh, So I'm embarrassed to do what we call like a a gray alien accent or like a Martian accent. But that's how, you know, important accents are. We assign them even to, you know, fictional characters in pulpy sci-fi stories. They and we if you were to ask somebody like, how does an alien talk? They would probably give you that example. So even in fiction, we've created these very powerful, memorable accents. Um, But uh you know, and then and then we we associate certain accents with certain things. Where it's like if you say something in a British accent, it gives it this air of dignity or importance. And the British accent was the first one I tried to do as a kid. We did a an in class school play of um, Macbeth in sixth grade, and I played Macduff which was a really funny name to me at the time because I didn't know that everybody is named Mac or Mick in Scotland. So it just seemed like Macduff was some parody of Macbeth. But it turns out everybody's a Mac or a Mick there, hence their names. Everybody's a McMac. You go to, you go to Scotland and everybody there is a McMac. A McMac. I played Macduff, and I did it with a a British accent or whatever I, you know, and obviously I didn't know how to do a Scot. I didn't, I couldn't tell you the difference between a Scottish and a British accent at that point, let alone do one. So I just did this half-assed British accent. I mean, imagine a a 12-year-old doing, or 11-year-old, however old I was, doing just a half-assed British accent in front of people. (laughs) It's fucking embarrassing and to make it worse one of the teachers he wasn't my teacher but it was like several classes did it together and one of the teachers involved was from England and I'm just imagining him watching this 11 12 year old kid do just this horrible parody of his own accent but I thought I was doing a really great job maybe I was because I feel like I for a while I was good at British accents because as I said it was the first accent I ever tried doing and and I remember I remember thinking that I was good at it, and now when I try to do a British accent, I just it's unbearable. I really need to work on it. I need to play things back. I need to work that back into my uh, into my system. I need to get that. I need to get that back in my system. Although it doesn't, it's not as funny to me though. Doing British 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 accents, it's not as funny to me. And I have some other ones that I kind of do sometimes that I'm not ready to work into this. Like, I have a thug that I've been doing for many years. And uh, I I may have done it on here once or twice, but it's kind of a thug accent, you know? A a thug, an American thug, which is the name of my, I don't know. It's the name of nothing. I don't know if I'll really work that one in. 
the tried and true ones for me are the British and whatever. I don't even know if I'd call it Southern, just that whatever that voice is. But uh, once again, I don't want to. Why am I talking about myself here? Why am I talking about my own accents here? Uh, but that idea of the universal accent is pretty interesting to me. The idea that certain accents are more normal than others. And I think when you do present a certain accent on television, when the newscasters talk a certain way, when most politicians and actors sound a certain way, it does sort of make that the universal uh, voice. And it's easy to forget that that, too, is an accent. It's easy to forget that that, too, is relative to something else. And, uh, you know, I'm not a linguist, I'm not a, a, a dialectician, as I've said. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think there are probably nuances, even between two different towns, that uh, where people do have distinct phrasing and inflections that you wouldn't hear otherwise. You might have to slow it down like they do with birds, you know where they'll slow down, they'll, they'll record birds singing and then slow it down so they can hear what every note. And it turns out that when you just hear a bird singing and it's just this high-pitched thing, but when they slow it down, there's like a thousand notes crammed into like 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, I'm not an ornithologist, whatever it is, whoever studies birds. I'm not an ornithologist. I don't know how many notes are crammed in there, but there's something like that where, you know, we just hear these certain notes you know, when a bird is outside of our window or when we're walking through the woods, but it turns out there's like all these ups and downs. There are, there are way more notes in what a bird is saying. There's way more notes in a bird's accent. That bird has an accent, but there are way more, there's way more to what a bird is saying at any given time that your ear can't hear. That your ear can't hear. It's kind of funny that hearing rhymes with earring. Ear rhymes with here. Uh, so we're going to call these things an ear, but what do they do? They hear. Oh, good one. Who came up with that? What is that thing? What is that thing? It's an ear. What are we going to? What are we going to call the thing that it does? Here. Put an H in front of it. Well, if we call it hearing, if we call it hear because we have an ear, why don't we call it sigh because we have an eye? Getting real stupid here. Getting real stupid. Um, you have a stupid accent. You have a stupid accent. Although we do, that, that is a thing. I mean, that's, that's a thing. In the same way that we assign this air of dignity to British accents, and we like it when our narrators sound that way. We think of Southern accents as the stupid accent. And we, when we want something to sound dumb, we play it back in a Southern accent. And that just goes into, you know, I don't mean this to get all like redneck manifesto or anything, but there is something to that where there is this bias against Southerners where it's the idea that they're stupid, they're uneducated, they're ignorant. And their accents are a representation of that. Meanwhile, British people are smart. And their accent is a representation of that. However, I've heard that 
British accents hundreds of years ago actually sounded like Southern Americans. And I'm not joking. I know that sounds like a joke. I know that sounds like a silly joke that I would make on this show. But that's something I've actually heard is that I've heard with my urds. Uh, gross. That sounds gross. I'm glad ears aren't called urds. Sounds gross. Uh, sounds gross. Uh, but something uh, I actually did hear or read is that British accents in England at one point did sound closer to our idea of a Southern American accent. And look it up yourself. Maybe I'm getting some of the details wrong. I don't look things up when I talk. I, I don't look things up while I'm talking. If I'm wrong, I, d I don't want to know I'm wrong until later. If, if I was worried about being wrong, I would never get a single show done. These shows would just die on the vine. Uh, but uh, that is something I did hear, that British accents once sounded closer to Southern accents. So next time you think that British accents are how smart, royal people sound, think again. You know, King Henry VIII sounded like uh, a Southern Baptist preacher, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Turns out in England, they, they sounded like New Yorkers. That's why it's called New York. It's named after York, but the original York accent was much more like what we consider a New York accent. That's my theory. That's my theory. That's what I heard from a, a famous dialectician. That's what I heard. But, you know, I recommend if, if you don't have accents in your life, if you don't have accents playing through your head, I recommend it. There is something therapeutic about playing back your own thoughts, your own statements in a different accent. It makes you see them. It makes you hear them in a whole new light. Again, we're talking about accent auras here. When you see or hear something you said, when you see something you said in a different accent aura, It'll change the entire way you think about yourself and about everything you're saying. If you slow down what you're saying, you'll hear that there are a thousand different notes every 10 seconds. And then if you play that back in a different accent aura, no, I don't know. Uh, but accent auras, they're a thing. When you sound a certain way, you give off a certain aura, and only some people can recognize that, and I'm one of them. I can see that aura that's coming off you. And it's why British people look different, too. It's why people in different parts of the world look different, because it's not just that, they are, that their bodies responded differently through human evolution and you know, their environments impacted the way they look. You know, people who lived in hotter climates, have more melanin in their skin, and, you know, people who live in higher altitudes, you know, needed to take air in more, I don't know. Uh, the same is true for accents. People's accents developed as a byproduct of their environment. And beyond that, their accent auras developed because of their environment. And only some people can recognize them. You know, my eyes are like a microscope for accents. And they're all relative. Dependent origins. 
Everything is relative to something else. Everything is put in motion by something else. Therefore, you can't trace everything back to one single accent. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 